Imagine a world where you knew that you mattered and you belonged, that people cared about you because we were so darn good at listening to one another, no matter how different we are. That is what Sidewalk Talk is doing by putting listeners on sidewalks all over the world so that we can practice the art of connecting. Join me, founder and director Tracy Rubel, as I interview experts on the fine art of human connection and interview some of our volunteers who've been listening on the sidewalk and even some of the folks that we've listened to. And if you want to volunteer, consider joining us at sidewalk-talk.org. Rosa Zuberzaretta is somebody that I met really early days at Sidewalk Talk when I was scrambling to figure out how do I even run an organization. I think I met her through some of my focusing, Eugene Gentle and focusing pals. But she and I are often into some similar things around group facilitation. And I feel like I kind of follow her and take her lead a little bit. She's into deep democracy, which I've gotten into. She's into constellations work, internal family systems. But what you're going to take away from this conversation is motivation and motivation to step up to the plate and learn how to get really good at conflict and not be afraid of conflict at all. I really got in my bones when I was talking with Rosa that conflict is such a natural, organic part of being human, right? There's conflict in nature. It's part of the creative process. And I almost feel that she has a social mission to get everyone in on the action of mediating conflict for one another so that conflict feels like an easy, normal thing. I'm also excited because Rosa is Portuguese, but living in America, but her work is really, really popular here in Germany where I'm now living. So it's, it's at least once a month that someone will mention her name here in Germany. And I'm like, I know her. She actually wrote a section of our Let's Listen book that we gave away for free when we were traveling across the United States after the um, 2016 presidential election, listening on sidewalks. So it's like coming full circle, right, to have Rosa on the podcast, because I, I do think she is part of our lineage and our roots here at Sidewalk Talk in a way. So I hope you get to really know her in this conversation, and I hope that you're motivated and have a new lens on this conversation we're having about conflict. So Rosa, I am, I, I don't know if you remember that we met through Edwin Bretsch's work and we were getting ready to go on this bus tour across the United States after Donald Trump was elected. And how I was introduced to you was through Edwin. And then you wrote this piece for this little Let's Listen book that we handed out all over the South in the United States. We left it in coffee shops and in gas stations and in, you know, all over the place. And um, so I always have this connection to you because we hadn't even met and you contributed your time and your care to this little endeavor of ours. So I'm really excited to see your face and your sweet glasses and and I feel a little nervous because I consider you I, I you know you're one of the originals when it comes to group facilitation comes to heart-centered listening 
when it comes to conflict resolution. So to me, this feels like a really big deal to get to hang out with you on a Friday night talking together. So thank you. Well, thank you so much, Tracy. I'm just delighted to be here. I have admired your your chutzpah and your activism and your getting out there on that bus. And it was an honor and a privilege to be able to contribute a small bit to it. And I really care deeply about Edwin's work. So the fact that he was that original connection between us means a lot to me. So, yeah. And that was almost 20 years ago. No, no. Was, I wish. No, no, it was seven years ago. 2016, Donald Trump's election. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I know you've been doing it a while. So you've influenced so many activists and so many people. I saw, I, I felt like I wanted to brag about you the other day and go, I know her because some <laughs> facilitator here in Europe was sharing your stuff. And I'm like, well, I know I got all possessive and I, my ego got all grandiose. I'm like, I know her. And I'm like, actually, this facilitator probably knows Rosa better than I know her. But I, I just felt a little proud. Well, you know, it's so funny because everything is so relative. Like the work I do is practically unknown in the U.S. And then over in the German speaking world, it's like it, it's actually a thing. Right. So diffusion of innovation what can we say it's just you know it has its quirks but um but i just feel like i've known you for so long and you're right uh, trump has not been around for that long even though all the prequels and and build up to that has yeah. been um but yeah yeah uh it li we we live in a different universe now right first trump yeah. and here we are well I'm hoping that you can teach us some stuff today. I mean, I'm I'm really excited to connect with you. But I, I two things come to mind. I really want to learn more about how to connect and listen and be in conflict, which are your masterful things. So that's number one. But two, I'm curious how your thoughts have changed as you've watched the world change. Like, yeah. I, I'm sure you're thinking about listening, about conflict resolution, and about facilitation has maybe changed over time. And I'm really curious about that too. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, you know, you know a lot about conflict as well, Tracy, you're, uh, you know, working with couples and being a couples. <laughs> Thanks for remembering that. It's like what I do all day long. That's why yeah. I really want to learn something from you, Rosa. <laughs> I think we all can learn from each other, but the big thing, like, I think the place I want to start is precisely there, right? Like, mm. how much, how much we need each other and how much we need to humanize conflict. Cause I don't want to go really big picture right away. I just want to start with the fact that, you know, as human beings, we get into messes with each other. We get into messes with people we care about and we get into messes with our neighbors and we get into messes at work and it's just part of being human. And yet I remember, and I think this one was about 20 years ago, a dear friend who worked for a community mediation organization. I have tremendous respect for what community mediation people do, but she was telling me, you know, the kind of unspoken secret about a lot of these organizations is that the staff are often in a lot of conflict with each other, but they don't necessarily want to use their methods with each other because there's like 
we're the ones who help other people with their conflicts, yeah. right? And you know, in the therapy world, thank goodness, there's the understanding that whenever we work with other people, we also need support because it's going to trigger our own, our own stuff. We need to be in supervision. We need to, and I'm not sure how much that has really percolated into the conflict world. Uh, maybe in some places it has. Um, maybe this was just an anomalous context that my friend was talking about. But the thing is that it's a human experience. And the more we can normalize it and the more we can de-shame ourselves and each other from being stuck and the more we're able to learn how to access support and how to be support for one another mm. in situations where two people's communications are are a bit stuck, mm -hmm. I think the better off we'll all be. So just that's my kind of starting opening. Well, so my mind just drifted to this thing. So I'm going to be vulnerable and say that sometimes when I'm in conflict, um, I go to two places. There's the, ob the obvious place, which is, well, it's all your fault, <laughs> the other person's. But more recently, I think I tend to take too much responsibility. And I think my, my history in therapy has me psychoanalyze that, oh, this must be some psychological impediment in me because if i didn't have this psychological impediment there would be no conflict so it must be a, a sign that there's something wrong with me and where where i'm curious in to get your feedback is i do think sometimes people bring personal material um intrapsychic material mm -hmm. into the interpersonal realm I, I guess i what am i asking i'm asking how do you know if it's your stuff or how do you know if it's the, the stuff that belongs to the field, to the two people, to, you know, there's all this stuff on boundaries right now. And it's kind of like, well, this is your stuff. So go to hell. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. You know, I mean, I, I tend to be a both and kind of person. And mm. so like, yeah, there's something that I have to learn here. And there may be something that the other person has to learn too. And mm -hmm. we're not going to learn it if we don't find ways to constructively engage with each other in a learner curious mindset where we can um you know understand what so okay so i had an experience recently with someone i consider a good friend mm -hmm. and we were working on something it's getting juicy now we were really we were really like just it felt like we were tug of war, like we were designing this event and she was wanting to have less people and I was wanting to have more people. And we we just couldn't understand what was going on. And then at some point, as we were talking about it, we figured out that what she had in mind and what I had in mind were very different things. And we were using the same words to just mm. to. It referred to two very different things. Mm -hmm. and it's not that these were necessarily opposed visions, but mm -hmm. they were very different. And so when I finally understood what she meant, I was like, oh, if I understood, had understood earlier that you were wanting a uh, to build an internal community of practice, I wouldn't have been wanting to invite a lot of people to it, right? Like I wouldn't have even gone there. And she conversely realized that I was talking about like I had 
thought that this thing would be really a showcase for practitioners to understand how this theory could be applied. But I was trying to design a, a public event and I couldn't understand why she kept on trying to have it be more people, right? So that's one very common cause of conflict. We both use the same word and we mean different things by it. And then another common cause of conflict is we are saying different things, but are, are we, we're using different words, but we're actually talking about the same thing, but we don't even realize it, that we are in violent agreement because we're, we, we think that because the other person is using different words that they're saying something different. Now, you know, it's not always so simple. I know it's not always so simple, but, but there, there are so often these fairly simple misunderstandings that are at the root, at the heart of it. And then there's a lot of stuff that builds up on top of it, right? Like there's, oh, well, the person insulted me or the person didn't respect me or, you know, it's just like it just builds and builds and builds. And so I don't know, like, how can I know ahead of time, whether it's me or whether it's them or whether it's the social field or, you know, like, I don't know. So are there... And, and certainly, as I do more and more of my own clinical focus on developmental trauma, when people maybe are a little dissociative and they they move into substates like an internal family systems that I know you have training in, then then I have some tools to at least hold the conflict in a in a new language. But I am curious to hear from you as you have done this for so long, regardless of what someone's wrestling with on the inside, what are some of the out of the gate? skills that you're you know can start to ease the waters a little bit or smooth the waters well the first thing i want to say is that i think it just all depends on what situation we're in right so if i am a party to the conflict it's going to be a lot harder right i guess it's basic but it bears saying right um whereas if i'm a if I'm a, a friendly third party, if I'm somebody who cares for both people mm-hmm. and is wanting to help hold a constructive space where both people can understand each other, is is a very different ball of wax. Mm-hmm. And the reason I think this is so important, like I think we all need both sets of skills, right? Oh, like, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So meaning for, like the facilitator skills and the participant in the conflicts skills. Is that what you're saying? Yes, because mm-hmm. there will be times when I'm a participant in the, in the conflict and there's mm-hmm. no third person around. So I have to both be able to stand, you know, for what I believe in and all. And I also have to be the facilitator making sure the other person gets heard, right? Mm-hmm. So I wear both hats. It's the harder piece. Mm-hmm. I have in the situation and I have to also be holding a larger space. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really, truly, I think we all, I mean, just like you in sidewalk talk, right? Like anybody can learn how to hold space productively for another person and listen deeply. I think we can all learn to hold space productively for two of our, two of our friends who are triggered with each other at the moment. I love this. I didn't even, I've never even thought about this, but this is actually really great. Well, so here's a little story, right? Um, that I'm sure you've heard before. I don't know if it's the time to tell it right now, but you know the little story about the difference between heaven and hell, and that 
down in hell, they have these really long spoons and these really long necks and these really short arms, and they're trying to eat from this pot and they can barely feed themselves. And then you go to heaven, it's the exact same thing. It's the food in the, the middle of the pot and they have really long legs and really short arms and really long spoons, except that everybody's feeding each other. And it's like so easy, right? Mm, mm, mm. So I, I, again, I don't want to say it's not possible to be the person in the conflict and also hold space for the other person and also hold space for yourself, right? I'm not saying it's impossible. But it's so much easier if we can go to our neighbor or to our, you know, other friend in a friend circle and say, you know, Jenny and I have just not been seeing eye to eye. Could you just sit here and listen to both of us for a moment? Because I'm so triggered. It's kind of hard to listen to her right now. Wow. And our friend would just be able to say, sure. And I, I've done this with people, right? And the, the, the friend would say, okay, so who wants to go first? You know, doesn't matter to me, but one of you is going to need to go first and you guys figure it out. And then one of us says, okay, well, from my perspective here, and the person just kind of reflects back, helps me be heard. Mm-hmm. Can't go on for too long because the other person's going to want to turn. And then the other person gets heard by a friend. And the thing is, when we get, and you know this from therapy, you know this, that when we have a chance to hear another person, but we are not the listener, we're getting to overhear somebody else is listening and reflecting back. Mm-hmm. We get to kind of sit back and kind of hear it in a different way. Mm-hmm. And, and especially if we know that we're going to get a turn or we've just had a turn and somebody's mm-hmm. going to listen to our story the way that right now our friend can't because they're just triggered and I'm triggered because personal stuff is getting triggered for both of us because we all have our own form of trauma background, right? Mm-hmm. Or most of mm-hmm. So if we could learn how to hold that third person space for each other, which I know that we can but I mean, if we could widely, widespread. Well, or make it acceptable and normal. I think some people, if you went and knocked on a door, they'd think, you're weird. What? And exactly. why are you having a conflict in the first place? Just stuff it underground like most of the world does until it explodes. Exactly. Exactly. So make it acceptable and normal. And normal. And- That's what you're saying. You're normalizing. You're making this part of community care. Absolutely. So one of the people, one of the things I really want to do here. Um, Tracy, I really appreciate your your wanting me to put my work out there, et cetera. But there's a couple of other people's work that I would really like to put out there. Um, uh, one of the people who I've been thinking a lot about lately, I took a workshop with him years ago. I haven't been in touch since, but I have tremendous admiration for him, is Dominic Barter. Mm. He started the restorative circles movement in Brazil. And one of the things that he talks about a lot and restorative circles, especially the way he does them, uh, I know that there's a lot of different kinds of restorative uh, work these days, and it's all good. Uh, But I'm speaking about his particular model I I have a a deep respect for. Mm -hmm. Um, he, He said this when I was at this training, I don't know, 10 years ago, and I I heard it, but I didn't fully get it at the time. His, his big thing was he was talking about conflict systems. Mm. You need to have restorative conflict systems in place. And what he meant by it, it's like, okay, imagine that you work in a workplace where there's a pretty toxic atmosphere. 
Mm-hmm. And sometimes somebody, you know, one of your colleagues comes to you and is like, you know, griping about somebody else, et cetera. And you might feel a little torn because you want to be there for them. But at the same time, you're kind of also friends with the other person and you don't want to end up in a situation where you're forced to choose sides, et cetera. What if in your workplace, during one of your staff meetings, there had been an agreement where everybody had said, hey, sometimes we need to vent. And it's okay if you need to vent to somebody about some difficult thing that happened with somebody else. But we're going to have an agreement here that when you do that, the purpose is not to try and get this person on your side and to be enemies with the other person. But the purpose is that the person who is listening is going to support you in restoring and repairing your relationship with that person. Mm. And so listening to you vent is the first step. You can vent. You you know, you have to negotiate it between the two of you. It might be five minutes. It might be 10 minutes. It might be however long. But at the end of it, the person who's listening is going to ask, wow, so what might be the next step to support the two of you repairing your relationship, Mm -hmm. right? And maybe the person would say, you know, well, after I vented, I I think it's going to be a little easier for me to go and talk to the person myself. Or they might say, you know what, I'm not going to be able to do this on my Mm -hmm. own. But in our organization, we have an omnis person or we have a mediator or we have an HR person who will sit down with both people so that they can hear each other better and so that their relationship can at least have a chance. Mm -hmm. Right. But if that were the agreement in the whole organization, then when a friend comes to you and says, oh, my God, you wouldn't believe what so and so did. You wouldn't feel that torn place inside of you of like, okay, I want to be good to my friend. And I'm also start like trying to stay on good terms with this other person because there would be an agreement. There would mm-hmm. be a system in place about what are we going to do when we run into trouble with each other, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's there's something coming over me as I listen to you. Like I'm trying to feel what the impact is. If I were in a community that had that kind of agreement, I already realized that I would be different in the community. Mm-hmm. Like even my framing of how I might disagree would already be different mm-hmm. because I know my upset and I know my conflict would be held differently. Yeah. Like, and I, I can already feel that in my bones as I, as I imagine that, right? Wow. Like that's a little bit of heaven, right? You're talking about heaven. You're talking about this. I'm talking about heaven. Right. Whenever there's a conflict, there are people around you who are willing to honor you, respect you, not judge you, hold, hold beautiful, lovely, warm space for you and for the other person you're in conflict with. Yeah. You yeah. know, and it, I, you know, I'm sorry that my therapist hat goes on, but I realize that that's part of trauma healing, isn't it? Right. Because we're all talking about how our nervous systems get so rattled all the time. But if the ethos of a community is, hey, there's room for your anger to come out. You're safe here. You don't have to squash parts of yourself. And you're going to, you get to know that you're not going to be shamed for your anger and your venting. And I'm not going to shame the other person either. We're not going to be on the lookout for villains here. Exactly. No villains here is the, could be the, the sub theme of a conference. <laughs> <laughs> No villains. You, I, I can already see you wearing a t-shirt <laughs> that says no villains here. 
Well, oh, okay. Now, but Rosa, we started this conversation talking about Donald Trump as president. And, you know, there were, I would, every liberal progressive person that I knew, not every one of them, but a lot of them had a real strong hatred for this human. And I got in a lot of hot water with my colleagues because I wrote a piece suggesting that part of why we've collectively, and this, some people are going to be really pissed that I'm saying this right now, that we've collectively invited a president in is that we collectively have something like a Donald Trump that lives in our unconscious that we need to contend with. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was a big breath. I can't wait to see what you're going to say next. <laughs> Well, you're talking about shadow work, right? Mm. You're about each of us dealing with our own shadows. And I have a tremendous amount of respect for that. Um, and I'm going to back up just a little bit, mm -hmm. right? Because it's like when somebody's a nonviolence activist, mm -hmm. the first question they get sometimes when they're being, you know, interviewed. Oh, tested, uh-huh. You know, by somebody who's really not sure about this nonviolent stuff. It's like, well, what, you, what would you do if somebody broke into your house and mm -hmm. held you up at gunpoint and raped your wife in front of you? You know, it's like worst extreme case. And the thing is, it's not that it doesn't apply, but that's not where we start, right? We need, to start, we need to start in kindergarten, right? So what I want to say about this is that I was... I was shocked and not shocked recently. I am. Um, I was born in Peru. My Spanish is my first language. My father's Peruvian. My mother is Cuban. Um, and my mother's partner. My parents are long since divorced, but uh, my mother's partner is from Spain, and she was talking about the Spanish Civil War, which had a lot of consequences because the fascists won and. Um, you know, so she grew up in a in a in a fascist country and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I did not realize, now this is pretty common knowledge, but I just hadn't known it before, that part of the reason why the fascist won in Spain is that the communists and the anarchists were fighting each other at the mm. same time they were trying to fight the fascist forces. Mm. Okay. So we talk about the circular firing squads on the left. And basically it means that, you know, there's a lot of animosity between this faction and this other faction and this other faction and this other faction. And, you know, honestly, so I'm going to make a jump here because now I'm not just talking about the, the, the left. I'm talking about people in general. But, you know, when, when, when we talk about the 1%, if the nine, 99% could figure out how to do collaboration between us, we'd be so effing strong. We'd be inviting the 1% to the party and we'd be the ones who would be laying out the table, right? And the food. Mm. And so I just, I don't see the usefulness of, of, I mean, there are people who are villainous, right? Like they're, they're a tremendous amount of trauma and they're in positions of power and they're doing, you know, nasty things and they need to be stopped. Okay. But how are we going to stop them if we can't collaborate with each other? Right? So we need to start with what do I do when I'm having a conflict with my neighbor? What do I do when I'm having a conflict with my colleague? What do I do when I'm, you know, it's like, if we can get it together amongst ourselves, mm -hmm 
There's no stopping us. So don't focus on the on the hard to get actors. Focus on us as a community is what you're saying. We've got a, we've got plenty of places that it's lower hanging fruit that we can be working on and have a bigger impact. Well, you know, go out and vote by all means, by all means. I've been donating money I don't have to, you know, candidates I believe in. It's and I don't want fascism in this country any more than anyone else that I have close personal ties with does. Um, although I have to say, I have family members, second cousins that are, you know, Republicans and whatever, and they don't think Trump is fascist. And But, you know, so I'm all in favor of the people who are trying to ah, let's see, where do where do we go from here? So like there are people who are trying to build bridges, and I think that's important. There are people who are trying to strengthen the Democratic Party. Like, what about the faction between the progressive Democrats and the, you know, and the and the more mainstream Democrats? And how can we understand each other and build alliances to, you know, it's just like I see I just, what you're saying. It's like we, we're always pointing the finger out there. And when are we saying, let's clean up our own house and let's build strong mm-hmm. alliances? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's it. And it's so much easier to blame others. And it's so much easier to point the finger. Yeah. As I listen to you, I'm sort of taking an inventory. I'm like, hmm, where's my house not clean? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like what conflicts am I? I have a couple dangling participles. (laughs) Tracy, here's the thing. We can't be blaming ourselves either, right? It's like we Yeah, no, I'm not I'm not blaming myself, but I am interested in being accountable to myself for sure. But we grow up in a culture where we do not learn how to confront people with love, right? And so now Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about going out and confronting Trumpist with love because I'm saying, how do we confront our best friend with love? How do we yeah, exactly? And here's the thing: it we're all, I believe. I believe this really strongly from experience. We all have conflict avoidant parts in us. Mm-hmm. For sure. We are all wired to want to maintain relationship, right? And so something happens and it's something small and we figure, okay, we'll just sweep it under the rug. We won't say anything about it. This relationship is so important. I can overlook it. And the next time I can overlook it and the next until at some point, it blows up so big and there's so much stuff under the rug that, you know, we end up losing the friendship anyway. Right. So we switch, we go from, this is my good friend. I'll overlook whatever to, you know what? I don't think I can be friends with this person anymore because there's mm-hmm. just like, and so then it's way too easy for them to become the enemy or in the, you know, the, the bad person. Mm-hmm. And so we don't learn, we don't get help in our culture to how do you confront someone with love? How do you say, you know, I really care about you. I really value our relationship. And there's this thing that that might seem really small to you, but that's driving me nuts. Is there a chance we could actually talk about it so that it doesn't fester? Mm -hmm. You know, I had this thought the other day too about conflict. Um, Two things happened. One, I had a couple's case that brought this to the foreground. And then I also had a, I have a, a good friend. She always tells me, okay, Tracy, you asked me for your my feedback. Clear is kind. I'm going to tell you the truth. And sometimes she'll tell me some hard truths about something that happened between the two of us. 
And I had this thought. Now, I certainly am more resilient. I think I actually like conflict. I'm one of those weirdos that most of the, a lot of the times, especially when I'm with someone that really wants to sort it out, I find it to be loving. I find it so incredibly, I don't think it's just from love. I think it is love sometimes. Because like when I get in a conflict with my husband, I think he's really good 80% of the time. <laughs> in conflict, 80%, except for the 20% when he's really stubborn. But um, I end up discovering parts of him that I didn't know existed because of the conflict. And so then I end up feeling more deeply connected to him and I discover parts of myself that I didn't know existed. Yeah. It feels very loving to me. And I, I feel like I want to like sell that, you know, I'm like, no, it's not scary. I'm telling you, it's really feels good. If you can do it well, it feels loving. Uh, yeah. So I have um, this friend, I haven't talked with her in a long time. Uh, she does a lot of stuff with women and artists and money and, mm. uh, and gaining consciousness and empowering empowerment around money but at some point in one of the blogs she was writing about something she was saying oh you know the other day i was love wrestling with my husband <laughs> an argument about something and i'm stealing I, this yeah 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 but also so i will say her name so that we can all give credit her okay. name is mary tesler okay. and i don't know if she made it up from where she got it from but that's her so good got isn't it good love so wrestling good. You know? it's like yeah. So, but it's not something that we really learn how to do. So, so uh, Dominic Barter's vision is that say every school would have the conflict room and the conflict room would be a room set aside with lots of comfy pillows and comfy sofas and places that people could sit, that that's the place that you go when we need to have a restorative circle because there's been a misunderstanding and it needs to be worked out. But that's part of our conflict system. And it's a it's a beautiful room. The the pillows are comfortable. There's art on the walls. It's not some shabby corner that we're like ashamed about that, you know, it's not a dungeon. It's not a prison. It's not a place of punishment. It's a place where we can turn our conflict into creativity, mm. into growth, into greater wholeness. Like you mm -hmm. were just saying. I learned something about my husband. I learned something about myself, right? Because conflict it happens when we're at our edge, right? It's like there's an edge there. There's there's something that I don't know or understand yet, or something's getting triggered or something. And so it's a potential growth place. If we can bring good holding and good awareness and hold space for mm. it, right? And have help in holding space for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know we've got about six or seven minutes left and I want to know where you'd like to take the conversation because we've got all these people that listen on sidewalks and I, I'd be curious to know what's next for you. What is top? Because I took it in the direction of conflict, but I want to know well, what's you know, on your mind. That's why I agreed to, to this is because you were saying you want to come talk about conflict. And I'm like, yeah, I think conflict's really important. I think conflict is a potentially renewable, sustainable source of energy. Because wow. if we learn how to deal well with it, you know, it's always going to be around. There's always going to be <laughs> That's a really funny. 
if we could just plug ourselves in, it's like, you know, those bicycles that people sit on when they're trying to power their computer. If we could just plug ourselves in, we could power the world with our conflict. Yeah, indeed. And so, so I'm going to, my former husband and I are on friendly terms. I, I would say it's a little too soon for us to be friends yet, but I, I really honor everything I learn from him and and like that so this is a visual so this is not recorded i don't know how well it'll translate but i'll try and describe it so in this practice that i i learned how to do 20 years ago that is growing in germany but isn't growing so much here in the states yet um so bruce uh uh accompanied me and and supported me a lot in different different workshops i did where i was teaching this practice and he actually has done it uh, in his workplace, he was a ER doc before he retired, and and so he's gotten people together who were frustrated about computer systems that didn't work, or frustrated about this or that, and listened to them, and you know done this whole dynamic facilitation process. But he has this theoretical innovation that I think really helps understand. It's like it's like if you have a conflict, it's like you know. So right now, what I'm doing is like you know two two fists coming up against each other. It's like, yeah. you know, there's a force in this direction and a force in that direction and they're button heads and, and it's stuck, right? It isn't going yeah. anywhere. And so what Bruce says is that what dynamic facilitation does is what happens if we open up some space uh-huh. and then we do this, right? And so now this arm and fist- One, is- fist, one fist passes over the other fist. So they're kind of, yeah. But that's the schematic for a turbine. It's like if you had a wheel in the middle and an axle, it's like this going this way and this going this way. This wheel is like an engine. It's an engine. Mm-hmm. It's an, right. So that's only one metaphor with which we can understand it. And I, I'm sorry that it it's a visual one and you know doesn't translate so well on the podcast. But but instead of 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 butting heads. We don't have to minimize the passion. We don't have to minimize the care. We just have to open the space so that we are not button heads against each other, but that that passion gets harnessed. You can also think about it like a water wheel, you know, like when it, the the old mills that they used to have. Mm-hmm. So this this way, this is going this way. It's like the river underneath and the water on the top. Yeah. You're right. And the wheel is turning and mm-hmm. there's energy generated so how do we open up the space not open it up totally uncontrolled wildly but how do we gently open up the space so that there's a little bit more spaciousness and we're Mm -hmm. still right so that each contribution can be deeply heard and when human beings are in a context where they feel heard we shift out of our defensive mode we Mm -hmm. go to our, you know, polyvagal theory, we go into our social engagement mode, and human beings are puzzle solvers. So when everybody in the room has heard where each person is coming from, this is when we're doing collaborative stuff, right, with a number of different people working on different issues. When everybody in the room has gotten a chance to hear where each person is coming from, and it's all on the walls because we're taking notes and charting it and mapping it and putting it all on there. But everyone feels heard by the facilitator in this case, who is holding the group. 
people can shift into their creative puzzle solving minds and they're like, oh, well, what can we do that'll, you know, meet this need over here and this need over here? And then people start building, instead of clashing, people start building on each other's contributions. Like, oh, well, yeah, and if we tweaked it this way and if we could do it this way. And, it, and so it's human creativity is amazing. And differences are this potentially incredible, rich source of energy. And so that's what I would like to leave viewers with, because that's what I know to be true from my own life. And doing mm. this. Yeah. I love this. I, I feel if there was a, it's not even the skills. It's like a consciousness raising that conflict isn't scary. Conflict is just how everyone makes their creative contribution. And if we held it that way as this normal source of energy, as this normal way that we get all the voices heard, it, it's like back to that heaven idea. You don't feel so scared of it. It feels like just an organic part of the process. Yeah, well, so so the the one of the main benefits when people have these trainings is that they get to experience it and they naturally walk away feeling less scared of conflict mm -hmm. because they realize, oh, if somebody's really upset, mm -hmm. that means they care about something. Yeah. So it's like, ha, huh, can you tell me more about what what's this thing that's really upsetting you? Like, tell me more about what it is that you care about, what it is that you don't want, what it is that you do want. And you start reflecting back to the person and you've seen this in your therapy practice, the person will start to settle down. Mm -hmm. People resort to violence when they feel unheard, mm -hmm. right? Um, people also resort to violence when there is, you know, mob contagion. So I don't, I, you know. It, That's another are, topic, I, yeah. I'm going to try to oversimplify things here. But I, I'm talking about in many cases, so when we're not talking about a mob, when we're talking about individual people, you know, most of the school shooters were kids who had been bullied in school, who didn't have anybody to talk to about it. I'm not saying it makes it right, obviously. And yeah. not everybody who's bullied ends up being a school shooter. But it's like, you know, the old lemma in psychology, hurt people hurt people. Mm -hmm. so if somebody is like going on and on about something, it's amazing when you're like, huh, let me try and understand what it is that you mm -hmm. care about. He starts to feel heard how they start to settle, right? You know yeah. That, yeah. Right? yeah. So active listening, not just for therapists, that's what conflict de-escalators do. That's mm -hmm. what go out and talk to the person who's either going to jump on the bridge or blow up the school or whatever. It's like like the the conflict de-escalation. You just help the person feel connected. You help them feel scared. Or we all need to learn how to do that because mm -hmm. it's like first aid, right? We all learn the Heimlich maneuver, whatever. It's like basic emotional first aid. I don't know if you remember, there was a news story a while back. Oh, and I'm so awful with details. There was a school in Georgia where a woman who was not even the secretary, she was like the accounting clerk, but she was taking over for the secretary at the at the front desk. And a would-be shooter came in and she actually talked him down because he reminded her of her nephew who had some mental health issues. And so oh, she no kidding. started engaging with him and she ended up talking him into surrendering. And there was not a child who was killed. Mm. It's like this was not a police officer. This mm -hmm. was not normal human beings. Mm -hmm. And 
conflict de-escalation skills. Mm -hmm. All the talk about civil war in our country right now, I think many, many, many more of us should be learning conflict de-escalation skills. Too often our police don't have enough of them, right? I mm -hmm. wish they would. In fact, I just learned, I just read some really good news the other day in some news media that was talking about, oh, it was the latest issue of Mother Jones magazine, their October issue. It's really good. And they were talking about how there's a number of cities, uh, Eugene, Oregon started there, but now they have it in San Francisco too, that when there's a mental health emergency, people who get sent out are social workers, are you know, trained volunteers are people who know how to de-escalate the situation. Mm -hmm. We had one of the one of the trainers for the San Francisco Police Department oh. on our podcast. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. You have to be just a little just a little PSA in in San Francisco. You have to specifically ask for a specific crisis intervention response team. So when you call, you got to tell them we need a, con a specific crisis intervention response member. It's really important to know yeah. and to, because if you just call 911, yeah, unfortunately, a lot of police are still not trained in conflict de-escalation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, we could just talk forever and ever, but I, I just got to, I got to tell the folks, I'm, I'm talking to Rosa on a Friday night and I told her that she was my hot date for Friday night. And because I got, I got off work early tonight and I was so looking for, I, yeah, it's true. I mean, I, I hung out waiting to hang out with you so this has been really fun for me to get to do this i know it's the daytime for you so you've got to go back and do all the things that you do but it was a real treat for me to get to see you guys don't know this but i'm looking at her face right now um so it was a treat for me to get to see your face and um spend some time with you i had told you but when we started there was gonna be this little fun way that we end though mm -hmm. It's really fun. So I want you to forget that I'm here for it. I'm going to hand the mic to you. And I want you to really sort of get a picture in your mind of listeners in Malaysia and in Brazil and in the UK and in Germany and all over the Netherlands and Europe, um, Singapore. And just imagine uh, what you might want to offer them, either as a wish or words of wisdom. Mm. And the U.S. I didn't say the U.S. I think that's funny. <laughs> so I just finished saying that I think everybody should learn some basic conflict de-escalation skills. And so I want to offer a resource. My friend and colleague, Edwin Rudge, has these wonderful empathy circles online. And they're accessible wherever you are in the world if you have access to Internet. Um, that's one place where you can go and start building your listening and reflecting back muscles, which are so important whenever we're trying to uh, de-escalate violence. Yeah. 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 You, I interrupted you. We're going to say more. No, no. Well, and I just want to say that I, I also think that it's really important to organize. I think it's really, really, really important to, to, to learn how to build Aggressive alliances with people to learn how to work, especially amongst progressives and people who are wanting to create a better world. We need to learn how to use our own conflicts between us as a way to get stronger and smarter and, and more whole and more healed because we, you know, we are the 99%. And, and 
we don't need to do anything about the 1% other than just really learn how to work with each other in really strong collaborative ways that are inclusive where we'll throw a better party and, you know, people will want to come have fun with us rather than try and control the world um, because they think that if they don't control the world, it's going to be chaos. It's like we need to show them that we are super well organized and that we are taking care of things and that they can just relax and just go on vacation, you know? Yeah. I like the idea of the better party. That sounds fun to me. Rosa, this was so fun. Thank you for being here. And um, for everyone that's listening, please go to the Sidewalk Talk podcast page where you can find out more about Rosa and her work. And we'll put links to all the different articles and people that she's mentioned in our show. Thanks so much. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you for being here and listening to this episode of the Sidewalk Talk podcast. If you like what you heard, tell your friends, tell your family, like and comment on the podcast publisher that you're listening from and subscribe. This will help us get the word out about changing our culture to one of connection.